Hello, this is Bridget, uh, the host for Odd Only Knows. Just wanted to give you a fair warning that this first episode is not that uh, greatly recorded. Um, it's got bad sound quality, so I apologize. But I promise uh, with this new microphone, it'll only get better. Enjoy. I'm Bridget. I'm Clinton. Clinton's here to assist me with my life and uh, be the producer on the show, which is super rad. I don't know how I convinced him to, but here we are. She kind of dragged me into this by putting a gun to my head, so help. Yeah. The macabre is real around here, right? <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the French guillotine. Do you okay. know anything about that? Um, the only part about the French Guild team that I know is, um, I was watching this Amazon Prime series called, uh, Good Omens, and I think the good angel during the French Revolution wanted to get some crepes, and then, uh, because he has an appearance to upkeep, he looks like an aristocrat, and so he looked extra fancy, and the, and then the people, the peasants of the French just, like, put him in jail and said, like, you're gonna go to the French Guild team. All right. Yeah. I have never seen that show. It's a good show. You should watch it. I think I saw like half an episode and got bored, which is weird because I like good and evil things. Yeah. Anyway, so the first half of this uh, podcast is just going to be like facts and history, and then I will segue into a super awesome crime story that ends with a beheading. So just an FYI. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> so. The French guillotine dates back to the 1790s and okay. the French Revolution. Did you know that? Yeah, of course it did. It was likely inspired by earlier machines like the plank that was used in Germany and Flanders, Belgium during the Middle Ages. Stupid sexy Flanders. <laughs> Stupid sexy Flanders and his nasty butt. Um, <laughs> I could not find any information on this plank. I, Did they I, describe like what it was about? It just said the plank and used it in Germany and Flanders. Used on like, Flanders, okay. I guess. <laughs> I, mean, I do the plank at the gym and yeah, it feels like torture, but I don't think it kills um, people. Yeah, I, I would like to, uh, you know, learn about that if that's <laughs> ever happened. Um, and the English had a sliding axe known as the Halifax Gibbet which may have been lopping off heads all the way back to antiquity. Estimated to have been installed during the 16th century, it was used as an alternative to beheading by axe or sword. Almost 100 people were beheaded in Halifax during the first recorded execution in 1286 and the last in 1650. So obviously this sort of device has been around for a while. Cool. As the date of Gibbet's installation is uncertain, it cannot be determined with any accuracy how many were dealt with by the Halifax Gibbet. Decapitation, any thief or petty criminal caught with stolen goods to the value of 13 and a half pounds or more, or who confessed to having stolen goods of at least that value. By 1650, public opinion considered beheading to be an acceptable excessively severe uh, punishment for petty theft. Really? <laughs> what do you mean? Can't you, mean we... you mean the blood splurting from their neck isn't enough? <laughs> I mean, I think they got off light. Yeah, I mean, clearly they should have been tortured. Yeah. It's just, it's just, just eviscerations, not everything. Can you imagine, like, going to a liquor store and stealing some gum and having to, like, die for that? Would you die for gum? Depends on what gum. Wrigley's is pretty good. What about um, Big League shit? No, no. Oh my god. I don't need. I don't need the extra like 
cavities in my in the side of my mouth, you know? Oh no, but it's like chewing tobacco, but like better but for kids. For kids, yeah, it's it's to encourage kids to chew tobacco later yeah, in life. Yeah, exactly. They could have like holes in their throat and stuff. <laughs> It's so gross. It's so gross. I look at, have a specific picture in mind. I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's so gross. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the use of the gibbet was forbidden by Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, and the structure was dismantled. Gee golly. Thanks, Oliver Cromwell. <laughs> may, your na- may your name live in shame. For shame. Yes. And then there was also the Renaissance era Manaya, Manaya, M A N N A I A. I'm not going to tell you. Manaya. It was uh, from Italy, and basically it's like an axe or a cleaver, which I would imagine is a lot worse. Yeah. Then uh, there was the, the notorious, as it says, Scottish maiden or gibbet. Mm-hmm. So I kind of looked into the gibbet. Uh, do you know what a gibbet is? I have no idea. I like kind of just scanned over it, and it said something about the gibbet being like a like something where people would do um, crucifixions or something crazy. So I don't really know how that. So like, what they put nails in them or something? I I don't know. Like because like they can get out of it, so then they'll see the the blade like behead them or something. Maybe I just I seriously just scanned over it, and I was like. We'll just keep talking about sharp things. Yo, so. I, I, it sounds like we should research that. <laughs> That'll be the next episode. <laughs> Anyways, uh, with uh, which claims the lives of 120 people between the 16th and 18th centuries as a means of execution in Ember, Scotland. The device was introduced in 1564 during the reign of Mary, Queen of Scots, and was last used in 1716. And guess what? You can find one displayed at the National Museum of Scotland. Cool. So, uh, I didn't mention about her nickname. No, did she even? No. Yeah, uh, she's. I think she's called the Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary Queen of Scots. Bloody Mary Queen of Scots. I don't. I honestly don't know anything about Mary Queen of Scots. Really? No. I I thought I recalled something like that. Watch me be completely wrong, but. That too will be on the next episode where I'm like, ah, you were totally wrong. Okay. She was proud, uh, Mary. Oh God. <laughs> oh God. Again, hits, I don't know hits. anything about her. Yeah, the hits just keep coming. <laughs> just keep on coming. Oh shit. Um, I have to like make the lettering uh, larger because I'm blind as a bat. This too will be in the podcast. This too will also be in the podcast. We'll talk about being old and. Uh, Losing our sight. Yes. Growing old kids. It sucks. Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay. Then there was the French guillotine. Here we are. Mm-hmm. We made it. Dating back to the 1790s and the French Revolution. Cool. It was originally developed as a humane method execution of execution. Sorry. Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotine proposed that the French government adopt a gentler method of execution. Hello, I can spit it out. Although he was uh, personally opposed to capital punishment, the guillotine argued (laughs) that decapitation by a lightning quick machine would be more humane and egalitarian. Egalitarian. Egalitarian, yes. I'm smart. Uh, then sword and axe beheadings, which were often botched. What? Device. Yeah, I, I, heard, I heard before that when they did the um, the uh, beheadings, like, you know, they have like the guy with the hood and, and the axe and stuff. Like, now imagine if that guy was trying to cut your, your head clean off, but he only got a chunk out of it. Like, that's why they were botched so many times. Ugh. And like, you can see the guy screaming and it's just like, yeah. You know, it's a big, that's a big no for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I guess, like, if I were to go by beheading or guillotine, yeah, I'd choose a guillotine. Yeah. I mean, but think about those petty thieves, like, early on who had to get, you know, chopped with the sharp things that weren't really that sharp. sharp. Ouch. Yeah. This is blood trauma. Yeah, yeah that sucks. That's so fucked up. 
Oh my god. Just imagine your neck being broken. I'm still alive, guys. I'm still alive. Can you just I can't. I just, just, can you just prop my head up? It's, it's not gonna. Just put a little pillow under there, please. Uh, can I get an ice pack? Yeah. Did they have ice packs back then? I don't think so. I don't think they even had ice. Oh yeah, you're probably right. I guess no, depend- no, no, no. Depending on where you. Yeah, are. depending on where you were. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, the device claimed its first official victim in April 1792 and quickly became known as the guillotine. Much to the horror of its supposed inventor, guillotine tried to distance distance himself from the machine during the guillotine hysteria of the 1790s, and his family later unsuccessfully petitioned the French government to change its name in the early 19th century. Doesn't that suck? I wonder if anyone volunteered to be the first person. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're like, well, I'm going to die by the axle and die by this contraption. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with the contraption. <laughs> that one. That one. That's my choice of death. So uh, during the reign of terror of the mid-1790s, thousands of enemies, quote-unquote, I mean, enemies, enemies, mm-hmm. enemies of the French Revolution met their end by the guillotine's blade. Some members of the public initially complained that the machine was too quick and clinical. But before long, the process had evolved into high entertainment. People came to the place de la Revolution in droves to watch the guillotine do its grisly work, and the machine was honored in countless songs, jokes, and poems. Hold on. (laughs) Sorry. let's, Let's back up a little bit. So they honor the guillotine as song. That's like saying, like, not the gun, but I mean, like, it's like the electric chair. What a fun way to go. Yeah, you know. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Let's just make this fun. I mean, they literally had nothing else to, you know, they're playing like stickball or dirt. I don't think they had the you know? <laughs> They're playing mud pie, they're you not. know? Um, but yeah, yeah. Imagine if like execution was like that was your one outlet. Like, man, my life sucks. But you know what? We're gonna go see that guy die tonight. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fucked up. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh. That's that's even more fucked up. <laughs> it's okay. That's why we're on this podcast. That's right. All right. So Nicholas Jacques Pelletier. Mm-hmm. I had a friend with that last name, and I don't that's probably not the right way to to uh Sound it out. <laughs> hey, we're we're watching all sorts of things, just like the Axeman. The Axeman. Yeah. Anyways, the first person to die by guillotine on April 25th, 1792. He attacked a passerby in the Rue Bourbon Villeneuve in Paris mm-hmm. and stole his wallet and several securities. During the robbery, he also killed the man. Though this is a disputed, this is disputed in later literature as possibly just having been an assault and robbery, or also an assault, robbery, and rape. Yeah. Wait, did the guy <laughs> rape another man? I don't know. See, that's the thing. There was, like, not very much... What are you talking about? The records from 1790 must be awesome. I mean, clearly they were missing a few pages. They got burnt in a fire, I'm sure. Or they just forgot to upload them to the cloud. Well, they're like, there's already, we know there's going to be plenty of executions. We'll yeah. worry about him later. And then just never, you know. Never talk about finished. it. Finished. Yeah. Like, there's plenty more. All right. I got some jokes for you. All right. Just to kind of lighten the mood. Mm-hmm. What is the de- deadliest kind of teen? Um, I don't know. Like political team no a guillotine oh wow <laughs> oh wow <laughs> i'm smart okay and here's the other one you don't need to answer it i'm just gonna tell you cool. the guillotine was decent in theory but amazing in execution Ba-dum-tsh. oh my god and no I'm reaction breathing, i'm breathing it in <laughs> right now just kind of absorbing it going like wow these these jokes they're just just so good so good just so good i mean the internet is just full of you know great Hmm. things (laughs) (laughs) there were just so many jokes about the enemies 
Yeah. I had to pick, I mean, those were obviously, obviously the best. Obviously. All right, let's move on. Enough about that history. Let's get on to some funner, more fun things. Yeah, great. Again, I'm smart. I was an English teacher, okay? Awesome. Yeah. I'm learning my, my grammar. You're learning good. You're learning good. Okay. Spectators could buy souvenirs, read a program listing the names of the victims, or even grab a quick bite to eat at a nearby restaurant called Cabaret de la Guillotine. Awesome. So it's like a show. It is, yeah. Except like your primary actors are going to die. I wonder if like anyone, like when they were, like they knew they're going to die and they're like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to throw on a show for everyone because, hey, I'm going to die anyway. Hey. And they just spewed out like a whole bunch of crap. Who says that didn't happen? That's true. Yeah. We'll get to that. Um, some people attended on a daily basis, which is fucking insane. Like, I did not know. Like, they really just kept going. You know what I mean? So it was a daily thing? Daily basis. Dude, can you imagine if, like, say, like, we like something similar happened in the U.S. And, like, they just, like, say, like, Trump got impeached, but we we're like, no, he's got to die by the guillotine. And, like, every day, anyone who was associated with him, like, death, <laughs> death, death, death. Someone's like, yeah, I got tickets to all of them. Like, look, here's my collection of tickets. <laughs> I paid a hundred dollars each. <laughs> it would, oh god, oh, it's so bad. I don't know. I kind of would. I want to. No, I wouldn't want to watch it after one. I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, after one, I'd be like, nope, nope, too traumatic. Traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But people used to bring like their children. You know what I mean? Which is weird because, like, the French Revolution, that's, like, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, right? So, kind of, like, during the Enlightenment era and past the medieval era. But then, like, the way that you hear about this, it's, like, it's almost medieval in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like, you expect that type of shit to happen in the medieval times. Just like the Iron Maiden stuff. Like, it's just really, like, creepy, like, disgusting ways on how to die. But it's not really that long ago. It's it's not. It it's really, really not. So you think it's like it's like what two hundred three hundred years ago? It's like that might sound long in the scheme of things, but it's really not in terms of history. So it's, <laughs> it's your deep in history. Yeah. So it's it's, it's weird that it's like it's because I've always thought that um, the guillotine was a medieval torture device. I didn't know that was such a recent invention. Which one? The guillotine. Oh yeah. Again, we'll get to that too. <laughs> All right, so uh, most famously, the people that attended on a daily basis was the Tricotuses. Tricotuses, that's what we're calling it. A group of morbid women who supposedly sat beside the scaffold and knitted in between beheadings. In fact, in Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities, the character Madame Defarge is a particularly bloodthirsty Tricotuse during the execution. <laughs> We're just gonna gloss over that. <laughs> that <laughs> he, it, do, you know, particular bloodthirsty woman that knits uh, during awesome. the reign of terror. She and other female revolutionaries encrypt the names of those who are to be executed into their hand knit goods by using different sequences of stitches. So they're watching these executions for inspiration. I guess. What a way! What a way to go. I mean, I mean, you could be called a muse almost if you were getting executed yeah. to these women, right? I guess so. You yeah. gotta look on the bright side of life. Yeah. I wonder if any one of them, they were just like, you know, this person, the way that that person died, someone did something special for just that person. <laughs> but they'll never know about it. <laughs> they will never see it. Yeah. Um, okay. So the theater even extended to the condemned. Many people offered sarcastic quips or defiant last words before being executed, and others danced their way up to the steps of the scaffold. Fasc hey, yeah. yeah, see, fascination with the guillotine waned at the end of the 18th century, but public beheadings, <laughs> public beheadings continued in France until 1939. So it's been around. Holy shit, 1939? Yep, 1939. So, so potentially be... your grandmother. My grandmother was around during yeah. that time, yeah. Yeah, potentially your grandmother would have been able, if she was living in France at the time, could have seen one of these things. 
Yeah, too bad my grandma's super Asian and not, you know. Oh. Didn't travel. Yeah. <laughs> That's too bad. Not really. No. <laughs> but yeah, like France in the 30s. Doesn't sound romantic at all now that I hear about it. Yeah. You're like, no. No, no. The city of lights? No. No. Let's stay on the beach in Hawaii. Yeah. Let's not let's not have our baguettes splashed with blood. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. All right. During the 1790s, a two-foot-tall replica blade and timbers was a popular toy in France. Kids used the fully operation operational guillotine to decapitate dolls or even small rodents. And some towns eventually banned them out of fear that they were a vicious influence. No shit, really. If you're killing rodents with a... Because, like, you know, not only is it rats, but it's, like, also, like, rabbits, gerbils, things yeah. like that. Like, can you imagine? I mean, two foot tall. I mean, that's a good size. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm sure there are, you know, fingers chopped off. It was, like... You know, yeah. the pre-fireworks uh, losing your fingers, you were using these little guillotines and chopping off your fingers instead of blowing them up. Yeah. Although, like, back in the day, I guess kids had more dangerous-ass toys. Again, it was entertainment. Yeah. So they, and you said they don't, they didn't even have balls, so. <laughs> <laughs> they might not have. You never know. I don't know. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's skip over some stuff. Okay, as the fame of the guillotine grew, so did so too did the reputations of its operators. Executioners won a great deal of notoriety during the French Revolution, and when they were close closely judged on how quickly and precisely they could orchestrate multiple beheadings. So what, like they had trading cards and stuff? Like I don't know. Like sports stars? Like, I guess so. It's like, man, what we have like Arnold again? He's got a, like a decapitation rate of like three a night. No, we want <laughs> Robbie. Robbie does like twenty five. Yeah, Robbie's like the shit. <laughs> Let's get Robbie up in here. You're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the job was often a family business. Multiple generations of the famous Sanson family served as a state executioner from 1792 to 1847, and were responsible for dropping the blade on King Louis. The 16th and Marie Antoinette, among thousands of others. Can you imagine if you were like from that family, like just going to school, like all the kids would be like, Yeah, you don't want to mess with him. Why? His dad kills people. <laughs> <laughs> You're next, bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the family you don't want to fuck with. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, and then during the 19th and 20th centuries, the role of chief headsman fell. <laughs> Sorry, uh, to Louis, Louis and Anatole Diedler, a father and son pair whose combined tenure, tenure extended from 1879 to 1939. Wow. Wow. That's okay. a long time. Yeah. I mean, they both kind of are, but like just hearing 1900s is kind of a trip. Yeah, it is. People often chanted the Sansons and Beedler's names in the streets, and their choice of clothing on the scaffold was known to inspire fashion trends. Executioners were also a subject of morbid fascination in the cr- criminal underworld. Can you imagine if Lady Gaga was like an executioner? Oh my I can, god. I can kind of imagine that. She, I can imagine that too. too. Yeah, right? Like, she would just be like, hi everyone. <laughs> and you're dead. And you're dead. And seen. <laughs> and everyone by my fashion. Right? That's I mean, awesome. it, it would happen. If that was today. Yeah, that was today. I could totally see her doing that person. Yep. Yeah. I totally, yeah. Right away. Yeah. According to some accounts, gangsters and other hoods would get tattoos with a grim slogan such as, My head goes to Deedler. <laughs> oh my god. These are gangsters, man. Jeez. All right, so the guillotine is most famously associated with revolutionary France, but it may have claimed just as many lives in Germany. So this is something I didn't know, like, at all. May have claimed just as many lives in Germany during the Third Reich. Adolf Hitler... Oh, shit. I know, right? This is a fucking trip. Adolf Hitler made the guillotine a state method of execution in the 1930s and ordered that 20 of the machines be placed in cities across Germany. According to Nazi records, the guillotine was eventually used to execute 
some 16,500 people between 1933 and 1945, many of them resistance fighters and political descendants. Wait, so they do this in public? I get, I don't know. Like, can you imagine if, like, you were, like, one of the Jewish people there, right? You have the star and everything. You're, like, they haven't put you in camps yet, but you're, like, uh, you're, like, ah, I need to get the fuck out of here, right? <clears throat> All of a sudden, you see a guillotine just open up in the middle of the, of the place, and you're, like, <sighs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's so, it's, yeah, I don't know, man. That's, did, that's, did you know that? I mean, such, no, no, not at all. Like, I mean, sixteen thousand people is like a good that's chunk. a that's a good chunk. That's like that could be an island nation. It could. It mm. literally could be an island nation. Oh my god. Yeah. Ugh. I'm surprised it's not talked about more. Uh, well, they, they probably said you know gas chambers, guillotine. What's what's <laughs> what's more interesting? What's let's, more creative? Let's let's check this. Let's do some tests. Okay, I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's so <laughs> fucked up. It's such a fucked up time. Anyways, uh, the guillotine remained France's stage method of capital punishment well into the late 20th century. Public beheadings continued in France until 1939. France's last public execution was of Eugene Weidman. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, because I'm probably not uh, uh, you know, pronouncing these names right, because I'm not French. And it was... We see- read <laughs> And it was secretly filmed by a member of the hysterical crowd. Of the hysterical crowd. I don't know. The last person to meet his end by the quote unquote national razor was convicted murderer Hamida Jendobi. He was executed by guillotine in 1977. He kidnapped, tortured, and murdered 22-year-old Elizabeth Bosquet, his former girlfriend. So 1977. And the machine's 189-year reign only officially came to an end in September 1981, when French abolished capital punishment for good. Wow. Yeah. What you were So that's 1981. (laughs) Oh, my God. Hey, everyone. (laughs) See the connection? Yeah. That's that's fucking crazy. That is crazy. Actually, um, they abolished it maybe a little bit after I was born. So yeah, wow, in my lifetime. What the fuck? Yeah, we're yeah. old. <laughs> All right, on to like some other good shit. Um, so there's some science. I guess I wrote some st- science notes. Sure. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Scientists conducted gruesome studies on the heads of the condemned. From the very beginning of its use, speculation abounded over whether the heads of the guillotine remained conscious after being cut. Isn't that similar to like if a check a chicken gets its head cut off, like it's still kind, it's still, of, kind of alive? Yeah, it doesn't run around. It still runs around, right? Well, someone told me once that it's it's basically the neurons in the body still firing. Yeah, they're not alive. They're it's not just, alive. Well, it's kind of like you know, if you're dead, you know, I think it was like up to six hours or something after you're dead, like your body is still like moving and farting and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like your muscles are still re. The electrons in your body are still moving, I think. But don't quote me on that because I'm not a doctor and I don't know shit. What? We both work in the health industry. We totally know what we're talking about. No, we don't. No, just kidding. No, just no, kidding. Yes. Just kidding. Everyone, you don't. <laughs> don't say me. All right. <laughs> He's not a doctor. The debate reached new heights in 1793 when an assistant executioner slapped the face of one of his victim's heads. Oh, hi, Lumpkin. That's Lumpkin, my, my kitty. She's the third co-host. She is the third co-host. She's just adorable. And she's smelly anymore. Anyways, uh, so he slapped the face of one of his victim's heads, and spectators claimed to see its cheeks flush in anger. Doctors later asked the condemned to try to blink or leave one eye open after their execution to prove they could still move, and others yelled, the deceased's name or expose their heads to candle flames and ammonia to see if they would react. So let me guess, they didn't. I don't, I don't know. There, you know, I found some other thing about someone drawing, uh, maybe it's in one of my more morbidity books, mm-hmm. um, drawing like the pupil of an eye of someone that was executed to mm-hmm. see what 
his last image saw or something that I don't really remember. And it's oh, it's is it like where like do they want to see how big the pupil is? If it, no, they want to see if they can capture the image, the last image that they saw in their conscious oh, or something like that. Right. But it was drawn. So it's like kind of like taking a picture of someone's eyeball. Basically, yeah. But it was it was drawn. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. At least we only say that because we know better. Because yeah. because <laughs> technology, technology, science, things like that, <laughs> things that maybe the French Revolution, revolutionists and peasants didn't have. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I, I don't know. I don't claim to be smart. He's so smart. He is. No, I'm not. <laughs> So in 1880, a doctor named Desi de Ligneray even had blood pumped into the head of a guillotine, guillotine child murderer to find out if it would come back to life and speak. The ghastly experiments were put to a stop in the 20th century, but studies on rats, rats, studies on rats have since found that brain activity may continue for around the Four seconds after decapitation. Huh. So is it like the more complex the brain, um, the less likely it will probably survive after death? Because, you know, I've seen things where it's like insects or whatnot, like they'll like continue to, like consider like a worm, right? A worm, yeah. Yeah, like you cut it. Like, cut it in half, they still they worm, still, right? Yeah, they, they'll, they'll actually regenerate even. So it depends on how complex the organism is. I don't know anything about this. I well, I guess that's. Oh, I'm just kidding. Guess I got a motion out of here, then. Uh, no, <laughs> All right, so um, one more like fact before getting on to um, some totally gnarly things, gnarly shit. Um, this is about the Mary Queen of Scots again. Like I said, I don't really know anything about her. I wrote these notes and I don't even remember what they said. So this is a surprise to me as it is to you. Okay. But apparently you know about Mary Queen of Scots. A little bit. Um, all right. So I guess this is just about her being executed. <laughs> After being forced to strip to her underclothes in front of all the witnesses, Mary said farewell to her weeping servants and approached the executioners. One of her ladies-in-waiting tied a kerchief to cover Mary's eyes, then left her kneeling and praying in Latin on a cushion. Blindfolded, the former queen was forced to grope around for the block before she was able to put her chin upon it in preparation for the mortal, mortal blow. Unfortunately for Mary, her life would not end with one clean stroke of the blade. As one executioner held her in place, the other lifted his axe and brought it down onto her neck. But the executioner had missed his target and the blade did not go clean through. Quickly, he lifted his axe again and struck once more. And Mary, Queen of Scots, made quote unquote, very small noise or none at all and not stirring any part of her from the place where she lay throughout the terrible process. Yet, even after two blows, the royal head had still not been completely severed. Holy crap, yeah. she has a, like a titanium neck or something. So yeah, if you want an example of botched beheadings, here's like the ultimate. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, the executioner was forced to swing again to cut the quote unquote, one little gristle attached it, attaching to it to the body. Whoa. Yeah, so she was like, hey. so it took three strikes. Three strikes and you're out, honey. <laughs> Literally. Oh my god. He then lifted the bloody trophy up before the gathering witnesses and solemnly proclaimed, "God save the queen." It's not. That's where it comes from. I guess. Holy crap! Yeah, botched uh, beheading of Mary Queen of Scots. Now you know. Now just half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. Yeah, I know. All right. It's noted that the queen's head was almost unrecognizable and that her lips remained moving for a quarter of an hour after her decapitation. In one final macabre scene, when the executioner went to remove Mary's garters, what? 
He noticed that her tiny pet dog had been hidden under her dress the whole time. They could not get the animal to abandon his dead mistress. It ran out from her clothes to lay down in the puddle of blood between her severed head and neck. And that's why dogs are just better people than humans. Oh, yeah. If you not like Lumpkin, Lumpkin just is a little whore for love. So I'm not sure this is correct, but what I heard about Mary Queen of Scots is I think she's known as Bloody Mary for the reason that she used to think that the way to keep her, her youth was to kill women and put their blood in their womb. No, that's not Mary Queen of Scots, is it? I think it might oh be. Oh my god. So like so she would have people kidnap young virgin women, um, uh, have them bleed out. Yeah, and then she'd bathe in it, right? Yeah, she'd get their blood, put it in a in a uh, a bathtub of some sort, heat it up slightly. So Ooh. because you know blood will curdle a lot. Yeah, it'll coagulate. Yeah, so and she would bathe in it so that she could keep her youth. And I think that's why she was ex- executed. Oh god. I should have looked I didn't know that was her. I thought that was her. I have no idea. We're gonna look into that. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Because <laughs> if that's and the watch case, watch me be wrong next week. <laughs> yeah, you're like that was a servant girl. <laughs> you're way off. All right, let's get on to uh, the crime part of this. Um, just someone that got beheaded that I looked up. Cool. And by the guillotine, um, it's really fucked up. Uh, there's some notes. There's some information that I couldn't write down as notes because it was so awful. And uh, because I have a daughter, like there were things oh, about children right. in it. Yeah. And I was just like, I, I can't. Yeah. So basically, this is what I got for you. It's most of the gross shit that, uh, that happened. Okay. Okay. The serial killer known as the Vampire of Dusseldorf and the Dusseldorf monster, Peter Curtin. Okay. All right. Is that Sounds like a seventies pop singer, but okay. Curitan, yeah. Peter Curitan was born into a pro- poverty-stricken, abusive family in Germany in May 1883, and the third of thirteen children, two of whom died at an early age. Well, I would have never guessed that he was abused, being really? a serial killer and all that. You know. You mean they don't come from pompous, rich families? Oh, of course not. Uh, Ooh, some do. <laughs> Kirsten's parents were both alcoholics who lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Remember, they had 13 kids, man. Or I guess 11. Well, it's a good thing those three kids died. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, everyone. You are awful. You're, you're fired. <laughs> Bye, everyone. All right. And Kirsten's father frequently beat his wife and children, particularly when he was drunk. Wow, I've never heard that Jeez, before. that sucks. When intoxicated, Kirsten's father often forced his wife and children to assemble in one room before ordering his wife to strip naked and engage in intercourse with him as his children watched. Okay, that's fucked up. He was jailed for 15 months in 1894 for committing incest with his eldest daughter, who was aged 13. Jesus okay yeah that's shortly true. thereafter Kirtney's mother obtained a separation order and later remarried and relocated to Dusseldorf so that's like not even like the fucked up part <laughs> it just gets worse oh yay are you ready yeah. you scared nah yeah being scared it's only been <laughs> it's only been like 200 years Ugh. so we're so young <laughs> okay and that's not even 200 years it's like a you know Okay. I can do maths. It's, I, I, it's over I, 100, but I'm, less than 200. I'm Asian, and I can't do maths. <laughs> and I'm only like half Asian and definitely can't even do maths. That's why we're in the health business. Yep. Come to <laughs> us with your symptoms of illness and sadness. And we'll misdiagnose you because <laughs> you trusted some two groups on the, on the internet. On the interwebs. In 1888, Kirtan attempted to drown one of his playmates. Four years later, he befriended a local dog catcher who lived in the same building as his family and began accompanying him on his rounds. This individual often tortured and killed the animals he caught, and Kirtan soon became an active and willing participant in torturing the animals. Okay, so definitely a serial killer. Yeah, is it getting worse? Do you think this, you think it could get worse? <laughs> no. No, never. 
Being the eldest surviving son, Kirtan was the target of much of his father's physical abuse. Although he was a good, good student, he later recollected his academic performance suffered due to the extensive physical violence he endured from his father. He frequently refused to return home from school, and from an early age, Kirtan often ran away from home for periods of time ranging from days to weeks. Smart? Yeah. I guess. We'll see. <laughs> Much of the time Kirtan spent on the streets was in the company of petty criminals and social misfits. Via these acquaintances, Kirtan was introduced to various forms of petty crime, which he initially committed as a means of feeding and clothing himself when living on the streets. Not bad. Okay. Uh, he later claimed to have committed his first murders at the age of nine when he pushed a school friend who he knew was unable to swim off a log raft. When a second boy attempted to save the drowning youngster, Kirtan held this boy's head underwater in order that both boys drown. Both deaths were ruled by authorities as being accidental. So I accidentally put his head under the water. I mean, they probably thought like a nine-year-old couldn't do something so horrific. Nine years old. That's I don't know. Like it's, it's like back then, people were fucked up. I mean, really fucked up. I mean, clearly. <laughs> clearly, yeah. Clearly. It's like, oh, I don't know what you mean. It's like, what are you in here, nine-year-old? Murder of two people. Oh. <laughs> have some. Have a lollipop. <laughs> Go on your way. Ugh. All right, at the age of 13, Kirtan forms a relationship with a girl his age who, although happy to allow Kirtan to address and fondle her, would resist any attempts he made to engage in intercourse. To relieve his sexual urges, uh, to relieve his sexual urges, Mm -hmm. uh, Kirtan resorted to acts of bestiality with the sheep, pigs, and goats in local stables, but later claimed he obtained his greatest sense of elation if he actually stabbed these animals just before his achieving orgasm. Thus, he began stabbing and slashing animals with increasingly frequency to achieve orgasm. Although he was adamant this behavior ended when he was observed stabbing a pig, he also attempted to rape the same sister his father had earlier molested. Oh god, yeah, that's terrible. Um... (laughs) I'm just going to replace it. How's your afternoon going? It's going great. I'm learning so much new things. So many new things. Um, so one of my friends, he's a, when he went to SF State for psychology, he was in there for like for sex ed, no, sex, whatever. Human he, sexuality? Human sexuality class. Exactly. I, I have a shitty memory. Um, <clears throat> so he would watch these videos of like these sexual acts. And one of them involved a man committing bestiality to a chicken. Yeah. This is on video too. And beheading it. So it's like that so like even though the behavior sounds really effed up, that stuff still happens. Oh, I know it still happens. Yeah, that stuff still happens. Oh God. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. And I was like, why would you watch that in human sexuality class? It's like, dude, I don't know. (laughs) We're learning things. We're learning. Yeah. It's like you want to know the 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 exact like deaths of human depravity going to human sexuality. Um, <laughs> that's what uh, the boyfriend uh, is. That's what his degree is in human sexuality. So I'm sure he's seen all kinds of oh. crazy shit. Oh, yeah. Just ask. And he studied in Amsterdam. So. Oh, even better. Yeah. All kinds of good stuff. Have you ever watched like a, like a fucked up film with your parents? Um. I don't know. Fucked up how? Well, I was a big fan of Nicolas Cage a long time ago before he became a meme. Right. When he was taken seriously. Okay. I guess. And uh, I really wanted to go see 35mm. And I took my mom to go see that. My God. And if you don't know what that is, it's terrible. And no one should ever watch it with their parents. And, uh, you know, they'll look it up and see what that fucked up shit's about it's basically like the dark web before the dark web i would say right yeah i would imagine did you see that movie you're a photographer dude i've i've heard about it i don't i'm not really interested in nicholas cage movies much Ugh, 
so that's why. I might have saved myself like two hours, so. Oh God, yeah, it was long. It yeah. was awful. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. I mean, just because like I read, I, I kind of was into like reading about fucked up shit on the internet way before it became like, oh, this is Reddit. I got read about that stuff. And at some point, I was just like, I don't need to read about this stuff anymore. Which is why probably I know about all this weird fuck of shit. Sure, yeah. And that's why, like, I think, like, when I heard about 35mm, I was like, that's cool. I know the story. Yeah, you also, like, didn't watch it with your mom. This is true. <laughs> that's an experience I can never recreate, but okay. Yeah. 35mm, people. Fucked hey. up. Yeah, watch it with your mom and dad. That's the only movie you should watch with your mom and dad. Maybe your grandparents, too. Yeah, they would love it. Yeah. So sweet. And, you know, the looks. And just remember, those looks and stares that you get after the movie, those are stare, those those are looks of love. And appreciation. Yeah. Don't forget that. <laughs> All right, let's get back to this fucked up dude. In the summer of 1904, Kirtin was drafted into the German army. That autumn, Kirtin uh, began committing acts of arson, which he would discreetly watch from a distance as emergency services attempted to extinguish the fires. The majority of these fires were in barns and haylofts, and Kirtin would estimate to police that he committed approximately 24 acts of arson upon his arrest that New Year's Eve. He was freely admitted. He, he also freely admitted these fires had been uh, committed both for his sexual excitement and in the hopes of burning sleeping tramps alive. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he wanted <laughs> Thoughts? To, so, so he wanted to kill homeless people. Is that about tramps? Yeah. Like? Yeah. Like that, uh, I was going to say Natri Nancy Sinatra song. No, that Frank Sinatra song. You know, that lady is a tramp. And basically, it's like she is a person with no home. Yeah. Oh. Look at me learning. Yeah. All day, every Learn. day. Every day. Remember, I'm an English teacher. And I'm just <laughs> a person who just has too much free time. Yep. All right. Kieran was tried by the military system and convicted of desertion in addition to multiple counts of arson, robbery, and attempted robbery, and imprisoned from 1905 to 1913. Kierden served his sentence in Munster, with much of his time spent in solitary confinement. <laughs> that would that probably helps him. Yeah. Oh yeah, it got real good. He would later claim to investigators and psychologists this period of incarceration was that in which he first encountered severe forms of discipline, and as such, the erotic fantasies he had earlier developed while incarcerated in. Derendorf expanded to include graphic fantasies of his striking out at society and killing masses of people. These fantasies became even more paramount and overbearing in his mind, and Puritan later claimed that he derived the sort of pleasures from the visions that other people would get from thinking that of a naked woman, adding that he occasionally spontaneously ejaculated while preoccupied with such thoughts. This is while he's in fucking prison. So why don't we have super villains based off that type of idea? Because it's fucking gross. <laughs> no, because like you know, like when you hear about like say in comic books a super villain or whatever, it's always like some weird trope. Like I want to save the earth, so I need to cleanse all of the people out or whatever. I mean, because that's like real life though too. Yeah. I mean, that actually happens. Yeah. It's just like real life is so much more fucked up than like whatever they put on the screen. Like your imagination sometimes. Will never get to the point where it's that deprived. Yeah. Or depraved, actually. What's the saying? Truth. Well, there was that uh, song, Truth is Better Than Fiction or whatever, but what's, wasn't there a saying? <clears throat> There's another saying with um, everything that you think is new has already been done under the sun. So every shitty, crappy act that you think is really fucked up has already been committed before. Yeah. Yeah. Like identity theft. Don't steal my identity, guys. <laughs> His first name's Clinton. Last name is Alabaster. Alabaster. That's cool. The boyfriend calls me Gus. I don't know why. You can call me Gus. It's easier to say than my real name, Bridget. Really? I mean, Gus is one syllable. 
That's yeah, a guess. I guess so. But you guess so? I guess so. <laughs> All right. The first murder Kieran definitively committed occurred on uh, 25 May 1913. During the course of a burglary at a tavern in the town of Mulheim. Mulheim am Rhein. That's that's okay. pretty good German. Yeah, German. Yeah. He uh, I spent some time in Germany. He encountered a nine-year-old girl named Christine Klein asleep in her bed. He strangled the child and slashed her twice across the throat with a pocket knife, ejaculating as he heard the blood dripping from her wounds onto the floor by her bed. Hey guys, you can't see this on see my face right now, but I have this like scowl slash frown going on. This test is gross on so many levels and twisted but <laughs> I don't know what you I'm pretty sure there's more to the story oh yeah just wait the following day Kirton specifically returned to Colm to drink in a tavern located directly opposite that in which he had murdered Christine Klein in order that he could listen to the locals reaction to the child's murder what? Look, at, look at your face, man. I wish I had a mirror. <laughs> like, legitimately, I have this look of, like... It's like disgust, disgust and confusion. It's disgust and confusion and frustration. Like, what? He later recollected to investigators that he derived an extreme sense of gratification from the general disgust, repulsion, and outrage he heard in the patrons' conversations. Moreover, in the weeks following Klein's funeral, he occasionally traveled to Mulheim and Rain. Mulheim M. Rain, Rain, to visit the child's grave, adding that when he handled the soil covered covering her grave, he spontaneously ejaculated. So the memory of him killing her caused him to... Yeah, that's just all sorts of effed up. This chick was nine. Yeah. I, I, the, the age didn't really escape me. It's just, yeah. See, and now you know why. Like, I couldn't talk about some. Uh, there was some other really fucked up shit with children that I couldn't. I couldn't do because yeah. it was. Yeah. It's just so bad. It's so bad. Um. So if you want to look, you know, look there. Go ahead and go on the Googles and find him and. Uh, or don't look it up. Or, you, or, or don't look it up because you don't want to be fucked up for the rest of the day. Yeah. I mean, I've been fucked up for like the last week after I've been, you know, researching this dude. Okay. Two months later, again, in the course of committing a burglary, bur I swear to God, I'm not drunk. I'm talking too fast. My tongue is large. I have a small mouth. <laughs> don't put any ideas. Again, in the course of committing a burglary mm. with the aid of a skeleton key, Kirsten broke into a home in Dusseldorf, discovering a 17-year-old girl named Gertrude Franken. So she beat his ass, right? Kirsten manually strangled the girl, oh, no. ejaculating at the sight of blood oh. spouting from her mouth. Kirsten managed to escape from the scenes of both this murder and that of Klein undetected. So I'm just going to say real quick. I think everyone should just learn a little bit of self-defense. That's why me and my wife, we do jujitsu because if anything, any shit should happen, one of us is going to hold the other person down. And then if they try to violently attack us, we're going to beat the crap out of them. So yeah. it's not just me. It's also Christina. One of us will just get the other person. I am weak as shit. And, that's why and I'm not. alone a lot. So don't come and kill me. But that's know? why Lumpkin, Lumpkin here. <laughs> oh, Lumpkin will protect me. Yeah. She can't walk well. She's a tiger. Come on. She's brown. Yeah. She's a very big tiger. So big. Yeah. She's so big. So surprisingly, like, Richard's like Jasmine of Aladdin just somehow has a pet tiger. She's a Siamese. <laughs> She's a special needs cat. But yeah, she'll protect me. She's got claws. Yeah, just scratch your face off. On August 11th, 1929, he raped, strangled, then repeatedly stabbed a young woman named Maria Hahn. Kirtan had first encountered Hahn, whom he described as a quote unquote, a girl looking for marriage. On August 8th, 
on August 8th and had arranged to take her on a date the following Sunday. After several hours in Han's company, Kirtan lured her into a meadow in order that he could kill her. He later admitted Han had repeatedly pleaded with him to spare her life as he alternatively, alternate, alternately strangled her, stabbed her in the chest and head, and sat astride her body, waiting for her to die. Han died, <laughs> died approximately one hour after Kirtan had begun attacking her. Yes. Oh my god. <clears throat> so the shitty thing about my imagination is that I can totally imagine how that look and this is disturbing to me not because of just the act but just in the, the fact that i can because i can kind of see how that could happen and it's just yeah it's screwed up so fucked up i'm not done with that story yet though. oh jesus kieran later buried her body in a cornfield only to return to her body several weeks later with the intention of nailing her decomposing remains to a tree in a mock crucifixion to shock and disgust the public. However, Han's remains proved too heavy for Kirtan to complete this act, and he simply returned her corpse to her grave before embracing and caressing the decomposing body as he lay beneath her remains. He then reburied Han's body, according to Kirtan's later confession, both before and after he had attempted to impale Hans's corpse to a tree, he quote unquote went to the grave many times and kept improving on it. And every time I thought of what was lying there and was filled with satisfaction. Ugh. <laughs> it's getting good, right? <laughs> Why did I sign myself up on for this? Because he said you were like, okay, this dude, Clinton, says he's like into all this morbid gruesome shit but i just want it no, was I mean, gonna be I, fucked well this is this is this is the can't this is the um the reality i'm disgusted by it but at the same time i'm just like but give me more information yeah it, it takes a certain type of person to do that that's true i hear you walking on the evening of september 30th kurt Kieran encountered a 31 year old servant girl named ida rudder at Dusseldorf Station. He successfully persuaded Rudder to accompany him to a cafe, then for a walk through the local Hofgarten, close to the Rhine River. At this location, he re repeatedly struck her about the head with a hammer, both before and after he had raped her. At one stage in his assault, Rudder regained consciousness and began pleading with Kirtan to spare her life. In response, Kirtan simply gave her other hammer blows on the head and seize her. Gross. It's super gross. That's fucked. Serial killer. Uh, it's November 7th, 1929. Kirtan encountered a five-year-old girl named Gertrude oh, Alberman. Oh, maybe I did include... Oh, you know what it is? I didn't include all of this part. Because mm -hmm. it's really fucking gross. But anyways... He encountered a five-year-old girl named Gertrude Alberman in the Flingren district of Dusseldorf. He persuaded the child to accompany him to a section of deserted allotments, where he seized her by the throat and strangled her, stabbing her once in the left temple with a pair of scissors as he did so. When Alberman collapsed to the ground without a sound, Curtin stabbed the child 34 more times in the temple and chest before leaving her body in a pile of nails against a factory wall. Now that part, this part of the story, it's, it gets really awful and like so much so like I'm scarred by it just from reading it like a few uh, days ago. Really? It's awful. Okay. You well, can, let me again, read. you can go back on the Googles and find out all about this Kirtan fella and all the fucked up shit that he's done, especially to children that are five years old. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. Kieran freely admitted his guilt in all the crimes police had attributed to the vampire of Dusseldorf and further confessed he had committed the unsolved murders of Christine Klein and Gertrude Frank Franken in 1913. In total, Kieran admitted to 68 crimes, including 10 murders. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem right. Yeah. And 31 attempted murders. 
He made no attempt to excuse his crimes, but justified them upon the basis of what he saw as the injustices he had encountered, sorry, the injustices he had endured throughout his life. So he's like an insult, right? So yeah, no, he is an insult, right? Because that's what most insults say. If for people who don't know what insult is, an insult is a typically a younger uh, male. Um, I don't want to bring bring race to it, but typically white. <laughs> America, and um, they're usually angry because things don't go their way, and they claim that it's the others, so the women, minorities. Other genders, they, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they blame the world. Nothing's their fault. Yeah, nothing's their fault. So they don't take responsibility for their own inaction or action. And um, yeah. Yeah, an incel is basically short for involuntarily celibate. Which is complete bullshit. Actually, if you read up about it, uh, it's the, this, I mean, when I heard about it, I was like, uh, that's not fucking real. No, it is. I know it's real. <laughs> no, but like, there are groups. What's fucked up about this, right? And it's, you just hear me out is that. In so, uh, the involuntary celibacy thing mm-hmm. was originally about lesbians. Oh, so yes. it's just grown from that. Yeah. So originally, um, there were these people that said, like, we they, they went they were involuntary celibate. They were trying to get they were, they were creating a forum for people to kind of express their frustrations, and it was supposed to be a support group for people who weren't getting into into relationships. Somehow. These dudes took it over and made it all about themselves, which is exactly what an insult does, and totally killed what was the original intention of it. Yeah. America. Yeah. So that's why we have insults. God save the queen. While you're holding Mary Scott Queen's (laughs) head. Bloody Mary. Nonetheless, he was adamant he had not tortured any of his child victims. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Kierna mm-hmm. also admitted to both investigators and psychiatrists that the actual sight of his victim's blood was, on many occasions, sufficient to bring him to orgasm, and that, on occasion, if he experienced ejaculation in the act of strangling a woman, he would immediately become apologetic to his victim, proclaiming, that's what love is all about. He further <laughs> claimed to have drunk the blood from the throat of one victim, from the temple of another, and to have licked the blood from a third woman's hand, sorry, third victim's hand. In one of these instances, he had drunk so much blood from the neck wound he had inflicted upon his victim, Maria Hahn, that he vomited. Kirtan also admitted to having decapitated a swan in the spring of 1930 in order that he could drink the blood from the animal's neck, achieving ejaculation in the process. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> what? All right. And here comes the end. In the years before these assaults and murders, Kirtan had amassed a length criminal record for offenses including arson and attempted murder. He became known as the Vampire of Dusseldorf because he occasionally made attempts to drink the blood from his victim's wounds and the Dusseldorf monster because uh, the majority of his murders were committed in and around the city of Dusseldorf and the savagery he inflicted upon his victim's bodies. Kirtan was found guilty on nine counts of murder and seven counts of attempted murder, for which he was sentenced to death by beheading in April 1931. He was subsequently executed in July 1931. So, that's what ties it all together. Beheadings. Lovely. Yeah. Um, that guy was a bad dude. Yeah. Are you, are you shocked and appalled? Well, if I wasn't, I think you would be there. You gotta start having fun. <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, no, tell me more. Tell me more. No, come on, guys. It's, yeah, I'm a human. I'm not gonna, like, be all super into it. Yeah. Um, so if you want to learn more about his fucked up shit um, that I can't even say on here, again, his name was Peter Kirtan, the vampire of Dusseldorf and the Dusseldorf monster. Awesome. Google it. Google it. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. 
thanks for listening to episode one of episode one of Odd Only Knows. Yeah, it's the pilot. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> and hey, it's this this has gone on for an hour, so uh, I will definitely come back. Thank yeah. You for, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, he won't always be here, but I'll be here. And um, if I interjected too much, you guys want me to stop? I can do that, but then it'll just sound like Oh, yeah, if you have suggestions, I made an email because I was so excited about this. Oh, yeah. It's oddonlyknows mm-hmm. at gmail.com. That's O-D-D-O-N-L-Y-K-N-O-W-S, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or at, I, I, at gmail.com. I hope that S is there. Just try it out and we'll, I'll answer it. Some will answer. Someone will answer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you uh, hopefully next week. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Don't listen to him. I'll be here. I'm always here for you. Okay. Yes. Bye, guys. Bye.